0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The wait is over. A triple header of fun is upon us this week. Football's in effect. The NBA Finals are here. And the MLB Playoffs are in full swing. You might go to some of these games, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything. From game spreads, totals, to teams, player, coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today.
1: Welcome, Pelicans fans, to a, I guess, an emergency podcast, as we called it. Um, the Pelicans made a little bit of news today, hiring the eighth head coach in franchise history, and Stan Van Gundy. So, to, uh, today, joining me to discuss this new hire and the new direction for the New Orleans Pelicans, of course, are our usual contributors, Kevin Barrios, and our editor in chief, Ali Kosell, gentlemen. Good evening. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, man. I had a pretty productive and uh, busy day. And then, you know, we got the news we've all been waiting for. So it was uh, nice for that move to be made and the rest of the dominoes start falling into place.
1: Ali, you feeling good?
3: You know, I'm excited by it because I wrote something three days ago where I said, look, I hope Griffin hires this guy because he's at the top of my list. And I kind of listed it, but we'll go through all that on why I I think Stan Van Gundy makes a lot of sense for this roster.
1: Yeah. um, Let's start with a little bit of the timeline though. So we first, we all, uh, I guess all kind of first heard this about nine days ago that he was a front runner in the mix and the other names kind of fell off. Um, Initially, you know, Ty Lue was considered the front runner. That's what we heard, but Van Gundy came in, And from the moment that his name became uh, in the the public discourse, it just seemed as if that's where the focus was. Um, Before we get into the actual hire, I just would like to get you guys' impressions of the process, the length of it for David Griffin and and, and, uh, Trajan Langdon and and Gail Benson in in doing this. And ultimately, um, what do you think led them to this conclusion to go with a veteran coach, rather than the number, the bevy of up and coming assistants that we talked about, um, both on our site and in these pods. Before uh, Kevin, we'll start with you.
2: Okay. Um, yeah, like you know, all along I've been a guy that's been promoting the the assistant coach uh, route. You know, I was really high on Vanderpool, Gasell, Stackhouse, the, those kind of guys. Bring those younger guys in and develop along with the young talent. But it became very clear early on when you started name started to leak that, uh, the front office was looking more towards a, a more established name. Um, you know, as soon as doc rivers was let go, we heard they reached out to him. You know, there was the, obviously the, the links to Ty Lu and confirmation that he was going to be interviewed. And then Stan Van Gundy popped out of nowhere, which was a surprise at first. Now, you know, like two days ago, I recorded a pod just where I, basically said I know Stan Van Gundy's going to be the coach there's no doubt about it in my mind so we can just start looking at things that way and we got the news today because it became clear that this team that the front office of of this team believes strongly that this should be a team that competes right away at least for a playoff spot if not for a middle of the pack playoff spot or even higher than that with the talent that they assembled if they have the right coach the right culture the right staff around them and um of all the guys that have had coaching experience already that were in the mix for me, Stan Van Gundy is my favorite choice. Um, I would have been happy with any of them. Uh, you know, they were all, they're all really good coaches. They all have things you can knock them for. They all have things that are that, that you could be excited about. And one thing I really like about Stan Van Gundy is he's always been an innovator. Um, he's always preached defense. His defenses has al- always been good. His record is It's pretty spotless, really, in terms of wins, except for that stint in Detroit, which has a lot of other circumstances involved. But, you know, only three losing seasons on your record for 11 years. We all know that's great. And, um, you know, before the bubble started, he did a pod with, with Zach Lowe, which I went back and listened to again today. Uh, which is very good. You guys should go check that out. Oh, I
1: did cool. as well. Yes. Yeah,
2: and it almost feels like that was him politicking for this job, you know. And it, he really did a good job of breaking down a lot of players on this roster, their strengths and their weaknesses, and how they can maximize each other. What What were the, you know, what what were the problems with this team, and what were the what were the things that need to be fixed, and how you could fix them? Um, it's gonna. So it was clear that he already had a path and plan built for this team all the way back in July when they recorded this podcast. So I'm sure he definitely wowed this front office with everything he knew about the roster already when he went into the interview. So um, it's not surprising that he got hired and I'm I'm happy about it, even if it wasn't like the route I was going down. Um, But, you know, just like with the GM and the president hire, where I was very much promoting Trajan Langdon as the top choice we got Trajan Langdon and we got David Griffin. So we got the best of both worlds. So now I'm hoping we get somebody like Sam Cassell or, you know, Wes Unsell Jr., one of these guys that I like a lot, to come in and be an associate head coach and then eventually have the torch passed on to him at some point.
1: Ali, what did you think of, of the process? Do you think that um, this was a a definite win-now move, but not in the short-sighted sense. I don't want, you know, usually Mm -hmm. when we say the words win-now, people think you're trying to accelerate the process too quickly, skip steps. I don't view it as that kind of move, but certainly when you hire a Stan Van Gundy, you are expecting immediate results.
3: Right. First thing I want to do, though, is I want to applaud the Pelicans organization for doing a thorough, conducting a thorough search, You know, we know for a fact that nine candidates were looked at in depth, and there was multiple others that they considered, and we heard some great names that all of us have been high on at one time or another. I mean, of course, Tyron Lewis, Stan Van Gundy, but outside them, Jamal Mosley, Will Weaver, Darvin Hamm, David Vanderbilt, uh, Kenny Atkinson, Dan Craig, and there's probably several others that I'm forgetting, but look, David Griffin, If one thing he's already proven is that he is a thorough guy, and he lived it up. To, uh, to that in this search. And I feel like that's all we wanted, right? As to where the Philadelphia 76ers jumped on Doc Rivers, signed him, made an agreement, came to terms, whatever, seemed like 48 hours after he was let go by the Clippers. The Pelicans took close to 70 days. And like I said, I have no problem with that. If you if you can't grab Doc Rivers, if you're not going to lose out on your top options, then what what's the sense of the rush? And Griffin alerted that to us as soon as he let go of Alvin. He said something along the lines of, it'll probably be about six weeks and he wanted to meet with everybody in person. And as far as we know, he did that, right? He whittled it that list down to three or four finalists and supposedly Stan Van Gundy came in and had three interviews. So that just goes to show you that they really picked through these candidates with a fine uh, tooth comb. And that's all we've ever wanted to hear, right? For an organization that's long been lamented for skipping steps, not doing things properly Especially during the Dell dems era, for me, it's a nice change of pace. So you're getting off on a good foot, even though a lot of people are looking at this coaching hire with kind of a slanted look because, hey, they're bringing in a 61 year old. And at first glance, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? 61 year old has been around the league now for X amount of years and has been out of the league for two years. And you look at this Pelicans roster and it's basically dominated by a young core. So how will he connect with them? But I was thinking about all this when Stan Van Gunny was first mentioned, say, what was it, seven, eight, nine days ago when the rumors first popped up. And at first, I wasn't a fan, I'll be honest with you. But the more I thought about it, I thought about where the Pelicans are. And people are making a mistake that this, this isn't a young team that has still X amount of years to get into a championship window. While that part is true, the rest of it isn't. You can't look at their ages and say everybody's got time to learn, including a rookie coach. And the reasons I mentioned in my article over this past weekend, the main two, is that Brandon Ingram's there now. He's ready to win now. He just won Most Improved, appeared in his first All-Star game. He's going to go be going into a year five. And this guy's never had a winning season. He's never tasted the playoffs. I guarantee you, he wants that more than anything. And, of course, there's Zion. And I feel like this is the pivotal one. I feel like with, with a guy that's a generational talent, and somebody that's been raised to look at videos of Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, you don't have time to iron things out and get to a, a certain expectation of winning an organization. you got to start from day one. And when I looked at those three names, they spent 41 years in the NBA. They missed the playoffs combined twice. And both of those years were Jordan's years with the Washington Wizards. So in effect, it doesn't count. Because that was more publicity than anything else, right? Michael wasn't didn't come out of retirement to help them win a championship or anything. So that I feel like that's kind of the standard that Griffin has to play with, and the pressure that he probably feels from Zion's camp. And so, obviously, you have to kind of win now. Even though I know I, I like what you said, David. That's not win win now, where you're throwing everything balls to the wall, going for the championship now. But you have to see market improvement with this group. Last year was a disappointment, guys. I mean, 12 games under five hundred, and that bubble performance, hearing about guys checking out, and Griffin's number one thing in his coaching that his priority, it was just getting buy-in. So when you think about all that, Stan Van Gundy feels like, to me, he's going to be the one that's going to come in there day one, talk to the players, everybody. They're going to listen to him more than anybody else that could have probably gotten into here and hired considering Ty Lue's already off the board, same thing with Doc Rivers. So I'm a fan. I'm honestly a big fan, and we'll get into it more. But boy, what these young guys on this team need is a lot of coaching. We talked about all last year, right, David, Kevin, about all these mistakes they are making. Guys weren't being held accountable. I mean, Alvin really, we know what kind of coach he is. He's built for veterans. He's not going to really rein in on you. But they need that, right? And and so I I just feel like it makes all the sense in the world this higher. I just, you know... I agree with Kevin. It's going to matter a lot on who they bring in below him. But again, I think just from a head coaching standpoint, I think this was the right move for the organization.
1: Yeah, my reaction initially was 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 a pause. Yeah, you called me. Remember, we had a phone call conversation, yeah. and it was it was I was concerned. I mean, yeah, because I you know you always you do those things. You go through the mental checklist, and what I also had to do, and I think you know. Relistening like Kevin did to Van Gundy's uh, conversation with, uh, um, now why am I forget Zach Lowe, uh, um, and from the reports, one of the things that you know the things that I talked about and the things that we talked about on this podcast, the characteristics, the things that we wanted to see going into the interview, and one of the things that was reported by Andrew Lopez and. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski for ESPN was that Van Gundy came, went in with a plan for this roster. And that was something that I had prioritized. Um, Mm -hmm. And he comes in and, and if you listen to those who do listen to that conversation and I recommend it just as highly as Kevin, uh, there was an understanding of the major players of this team. Um, an understanding of their abilities and their limitations and honesty in that discussion and a flexibility in knowing there was no one solution to what he was talking about and diagnosing the problems of the Pelicans. Um, so a lot of the concerns that I've seen on Twitter and in the comments about him, A, being too old, um, i 'd never said that that age should be, was a, was an issue because I think that's an overblown thing. And I I was on with Scott Farrell, Farrell coast to coast today. And he asked me about the 60 year old white guy connecting with the brothers. And A, that was a weird way to ask that question. Uh, but B, my thing is, that's not his job is to connect with them. It's to get by it. And you have assistants who do those things, who are the friends, the guys who give the, uh you know the pats on the back and and who know the players a little bit more inti- uh, intimately because the head coach has a lot of responsibilities i expect him and as kevin said it's going to be on the staff that he puts together um to to do a lot of that heavy lifting his job is to get the concept put it in place and hold people accountable and i think on those levels that's where we can be satisfied um yeah, I'm disappointed that some of the other candidates didn't get up, but I was encouraged today when they when you hear some of the names associated with his assistants. Ime Udoka's mm-hmm. name was on that list. That's um, huge.
3: Yeah.
1: Who we all have thought think very highly of. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that there are going he's going to put together a hell of a staff. Who who would be for you guys those top, who would you like to see as the number one assistant? Um, and then who on this Pelican staff do you think it's critical to keep um, if there were one or two people, do you think that should be um, holdovers? Uh, Ali, we'll start with you this time.
3: I would be happy, honestly, with any number of people coming in, getting the two lead assistant positions, understand. I mean, Kevin's already mentioned um, uh, Sam Cassell uh, a couple days ago, and he would make for a great one because he he deserves a chance at a head coaching job, but, I, I'll mention another one. I, I really think Will Weaver. He's being talked up as possibly the next Brad Stevens. And I also like how his strategies fit with what the Pelicans kind of do. And he, he's another one of those loves to push the pace, so he would take advantage of the young legs plus the talent and abilities of this roster. But he also is, is kind of a different thinker is what he's been classified because I was doing some research into him over this past week to where – He runs a lot of different type of concepts, and I feel like that would be great because something novel, something new would be welcome in this league and maybe even kind of like a slight advantage considering it's such a copycat league now, guys, where people are either running pick and rolls free or some ball movement or just pushing the pace like Alvin did trying to get the first best shot. I feel like something else is necessary, right? Because when you get down, especially with this team (laughs) – When you need scores, when you need to stop the opponent's momentum, or especially in crunch time where they fail time after time with execution, I want to see improvement there and defensively. So that's what I'm looking at. I want to see an assistant bring in experience in some of the areas where the Pelicans were sorely lacking last year. So like I said, I'd be happy with Eme Udoka. I mean, boy, how can you not like somebody that spent most of his um, coaching uh resume with the Spurs I think it was what was it David you know better because you wrote the articles it was like six seven years under pop mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. highly regarded had a bunch of interviews for the head coaching job hasn't panned out for him yet but mm-hmm. yeah I think Stan's gonna have his pick of the litter so I think they should end up with at least one or two good names that we're all gonna sign off on
1: Kevin do you think they need to retain anybody from the
2: staff well um I like I was on your favorite podcast, the top five podcasts the other day, and uh went through my off season plan and um so for me, I would definitely you know obviously I think everybody would agree they would love to have Fred vinson back um so that's number one that's the um, no brainer right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then. For me, like I, I've threw some guys out there for the staff that I would be into. I, You know, if, if I'm Sam Cassell and the only head coaching job I'm getting offered right now is the Houston Rockets, and it's not guaranteed he's even going to get offered that job. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not taking that. I'd rather spend a year as the assistant head coach, I mean, associate head coach with the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, and then enter the coach and search again next year or even a couple of years right yeah, can you I mean, imagine getting better, close to so Zion and BI I, I, feel I. Like it's a better situation here than with that owner and all the turmoil that's seemingly about to happen there um but I do understand that there's only 30 teams so maybe he takes that but with Chauncey going to reportedly going to the clippers I think he's definitely due for being the next man up on on a, on a bench, you know, at least if not a head coach. Um, and then uh, I think it would be cool to bring a guy like Mike Miller over who uh, I, that he was also an ex heat guy recently mm-hmm. was interim coach in the Knicks, um, you know, a little tweener forward that could work with uh, Brandon Ingram. Um, Gary Payton would be an interesting hire. Um, and then Will Weaver, like you said, Ollie, I think bringing him over, because when you look at the roster, you have two extremely unique players for the position they play. You have Zion Williamson, who's not like anybody else. You have to like make a Voltron out of like six players to create what he looks like he's going to be when he, when he is what he is. And then you have Lonzo Ball, who's an extremely unique player at the point guard position because of his strengths and because of his weaknesses in that position. So I think bringing a guy like Will Weaver, who's, uh, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I know a lot about him, but I've read a a bit about him and listened to some interviews and podcasts about him in the last week or so, just to kind of understand who he was because he's so linked to this team and they seem to love him. It seems like he's going to be a part of this staff at some point. Um, So to bring him over to help, Create innovative solutions to play those two guys together and make pieces fit around them because it is a bit of a challenge um, because they are so unique and have different skill sets. So, those are guys I like. And then, you know, I also mentioned Grubb's idea, which I really liked. I don't know if this guy's interested in coaching, but at least bring him in as a consultant in the preseason or a couple of times during the season to work with Zion and other bigs with their footwork, as Bonzi Wells. Would be also an interesting guy to bring around uh, the team somewhat, and then you know, um, heat guys like Tim Hardaway, stuff like that, um, would be interesting. I have a question uh, for you guys because I don't know the answer to this. Um, I know that Bizdelic and uh, Van Gundy were on the staff together in in Miami, but I don't think that Bizdelic was there when Van Gundy got elevated to head coach. Do you guys know if that's true? Is there, is there a yeah, good Yeah, he wasn't there then. He wasn't there then. Okay, but do you think they have a good relationship? Do you think that's a guy that they're going to retain on, this, on the he staff? He spoke about?
1: well of him on, on the low post.
2: Yeah, he did.
1: And he said, you know, particularly that the thing he focused on was Bizdelic's commitment to not fouling. Um, that and doesn't necessarily... did
3: a good job of that this year, guys. That's one thing we got to mention. They did do a good job of that.
1: Oh, uh, actually, I mean, for most season they didn't. They fouled a lot. What,
3: what what they end up in terms of I I could have sworn when I looked at NBA stats they were in the top half of
1: the league and not I think fouling they, they opponents improved late. But for like when they were recording that podcast, like I mean, the Pelicans' numbers weren't great. Like the, I mean, we know what the Pelicans' main weaknesses were. They let people get to the line a lot, they, and they didn't get to the line a lot. They were always at a deficit at the free throw line, and they gave up a ton of points in the paint. Um, that's, those are the two things that, that they, that, you know, we've all seen. And, and I think that that's where the focus is going to be. Um, I think most of what we're going to talk about is answered in our guest questions. Uh, I mean, in our questions from our, our audience. So let's go into those. And, um, I think we'll, we'll get to all the topics that we're still But one thing about. we
3: should touch on real quick, since we're on the topic, mm-hmm. I personally don't think Chris Finch or Jeff Bezdelic will be back. What do you guys but think? I think they are going to replace them, go with Younger. Somebody oh, yeah. else.
2: Bitch I don't think it's on for kidding. sure. I just don't know about Visdelic because I don't know about the how what that relationship is like with Van Gundy. If he has a really good relationship with him, I don't see why he wouldn't retain him if he you know if he likes him and he's already here, but you know, I I'm, I'm not sure.
1: I do want to throw this out too, because this is interesting because people talk our you know, our friend and and colleague Dave Fisher put out um Van Gundy's record and you know and showed his playoff appearances, et cetera, et cetera. And then I tweeted about His total, you know, his nine playoff series wins are more than the aggregate total of every Pelicans. I mean, are almost equal to the aggregate total of every Pelicans coach in franchise history. Um, Here's one interesting comparison. The guy who succeeded him in Miami, Eric Spolstra, who we all think is one of the the best coaches in the league. um, Spolstra in his career in Miami has 350 win seasons. Three, and he's been in Miami for 12 years. Van Gundy has five in his 11 full seasons. So I think, you know, I think people are quick to dismiss him um, in that regard, but his worst seasons in Detroit would qualify for second best. His, like, second best in Alvin Gentry's tenure. You know, they, they like, uh, his worst, his, his, his floor is, is high. I don't know how high his ceiling is with the Pelicans, but at the very least I would think that his floor is high. Yeah. Here's was. a fun
3: thing that I wrote on David. I want to jump in and mention is that if you eliminate the Pistons, Stan compiled a, a winning percentage of over 60% with both the heat and the magic. If you look right. at, you know, at the coaching list of all the all time greats, that would be right up there. And here's my favorite. Van Gundy could have grabbed the Warriors after Mark Jackson left. He was their number one favorite uh, uh, candidate to replace Mark Jackson. But he ended up wanting to have the power, so he went to the Pistons. But can you imagine if Stan Van Gundy goes there, I guarantee he's winning at least two championships. I mean, Steve Kerr won three. He's got a winning percentage of was around 70%. But think about if Stan would have added to his 60% win uh, percentage, then goes to the Warriors. I think he's he's going down in history as one of the best coaches of all time, just from basically from sheer luck. I mean, he's a great coach. We're going to get in more of that. He's one of the best teachers. But look, that's why I, I, I think so highly of him. And I kind of dismiss that piston stop. And look, he's even said, I just want to coach. Right. That's probably the best news. There's not going to be any kind of confrontation with David Griffin on the personnel decisions, which is something he wanted. But look, he learned. He he couldn't do it four years up with Detroit, and most coaches can't, right? Tibbs failed with Minnesota. Doc really failed with the Clippers when he had that post. So it's great to hear that he's moved past that, and he's only going to be a coach. And like I said, I think he's an extremely great one.
1: Yeah, I think it, to me, it just felt like the whole Detroit situation was a reaction to what happened in Orlando and how the 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 ability of a star player in the case of Dwight Howard. To make something that was really working implode. And I think that's, you know, we all would say, well, I'd rather have the power to keep to get rid of the player than have the player push me out because it happened basically to him twice, you know, with Shaq and Dwight Howard. Um, I don't think that concern is the same because I don't think any Pelicans player has that same kind of mentality. Um, So I don't think there's going to be a struggle in the locker room for, you know, that type of uh, power. Um, But let's go to our questions. And the first one is the, the one that, we're, that everybody is concerned about um, for the Pelicans. This is from uh, FM Sammy. How much success on defense is based on a slower pace? Three-point shooting will still be a focus, but what does half-court offense look like? Kevin, I'm going to let you take defense and, okay. and, and break that down. And then, Ollie, um, you could talk about the, the half-court offense uh, schemes for Van Gundy.
2: I apologize cause I don't remember where I read this. Uh, but recently I read about Stan Van Gundy's defenses, how he has always mastered getting his teams to the, it, the opposing team to take shots from the most inefficient spots on, on the court. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that is key. Training your guys to get guys into, to, to make the, invite them to take the shot that, the, that you want them to take is, uh, is very key. And then of course, like we already talked about, his main thing is rebounding and not fouling, um, which are two things that were clearly a weakness for us, especially the rebounding. Um, So if he can fix those things, and he's always been um, what he's been in like the top 10 of defense for, I think every year, except for one or two, am I wrong um, with all of his teams? So he has a track record of doing that. And that's across three teams with multiple kinds of, Uh, players on those teams and turn over and change even in Detroit uh, where he you know was is the the failure of his career uh, they had pretty good defenses outside of his first year I think his first year they were 20th but I think even one year they were second so um, that's something to be excited about and I think you know it's it's what you want you want to drive those guys out of the uh, efficient shots and make them take the shot that's inefficient and then have good team defense around that
1: Alelick on half court um, offense um, how do you think he utilizes this team in the half court which is where they typically struggle but some interesting notes again from and stats that I hadn't thought about um from the low post and I Kevin I don't know how shocked you were to, to, to hear those with Zion on the floor the pelicans shot 59 percent of their shots in the at the paint at the rim yeah. And the, the best in the league was Milwaukee, and they were at like 53%. Mm-hmm. I think they
2: were 50. I think, I think yeah, it was it, even lower. I was, think, yeah. Or
1: 51, something like that. Yeah. But it was, it was, a, was a huge gap.
0: And then the cool other bad.
1: part was that the Pelicans had a very low, with Zion on the floor, um, a very low number of mid range shots. About 17% of their shot attempts came right. from the mid range. And then you have the remainder coming from three. That was one of the things that he really liked about the Pelicans, saying that offensively, fundamentally, they're almost there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and and his utilization of Lonzo Ball is one of the things that people are very interested in. How do you see that?
3: Yeah, first, I think he's going to take what he did in, with the Orlando Magic and kind of implement the same kind of thought process to where he's going to give – who, Dwight Howard at the time, what was he, for like six, seven, eight years, the most powerful, most dominant presence in the paint during his heyday. Well, that's what Zion Williamson has become overnight in his first 30-odd games in the NBA. So you want to give him all that same space that Dwight Howard used to enjoy. And you surround him basically just with a four-out, four one-in strategy where you're going to surround him with plenty of three-point shooters, playmakers. So I could foresee like Brandon Ingram maybe kind of playing like a or Turkoglu kind of role, right? When, when, say, Dwight Howard was getting double teamed and had to have somebody from the perimeter create, I think B.I. is going to be the perfect man for the job. But not to go too in the depth about that, but, yeah, as far as Lonzo, I still think they're probably going to look to keep the pace up, not, not sky high, not to the point where you're sacrificing defense, especially defensive rebounding. I mean, how many times do we lament – that not enough players, not only they're not boxing out, not doing the proper fundamentals, but half the team was very streaking down just to get in a transition. A lot of times, Zion was one of you know, the biggest culprits. And that was by design. I don't think that was Zion. That was Alvin Gentry saying, you're such a weapon. Get down the court. It's going to be an easy bucket for us, right? So Zion was never in a rebounding position. I think Stan's going to tweak all that. But still, when they do get the ball, they're going to look to push it, and especially through Lonzo. And that's what's going to be key. Is he still going to be given the keys to basically push it as pace and create that offense? And then what's going to happen once they end up not getting, you know, an easy strike score? Are they going to pull it out and run a half-court offense to where then Lonzo becomes a guy that's sitting in the corner? I mean, I honestly don't know. Well, Jameer Nelson usually stayed at the top of the key, but that was different times back then, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago. I honestly think that if I'm Stan Van Gundy and you still got Drew Holiday and B.I., you want them more towards the top of the key. So Lonzo, unfortunately, he's going to go have to sit in the corner unless he proves he's actually developed, added to his game, right, this summer, add some playmaking, show that he can get to the rim, not show a kind of a fear, taking good shots, creating contact, getting to the line. But if he doesn't, then, yeah, he's going to be banished, I think, to a corner. But and that's going to upset a lot of people like it kind of did at times this year. But overall, I think Stan Van Gundy's going to do wonders offensively because I've already talked about this Magic team. But let's not forget – he also had one of the most dominant big men of all time named Shaquille O'Neal, but he's also had the privilege of having some games with Blake Griffin, who I think he's probably going to think real hard about the positions. He either did put Blake in and was successful and ones that weren't. And basically that's going to translate to Zion, who I think that's going to be probably his best copy for what he may want to imagine with an offense being dynamic when it's being run through Zion, right? If he's not, got a good post up, down low somewhere, then you have to run it through him somewhere outside of the paint. So all in all, I think he's got the experience to figure this out and work wonders. And yeah, just hearing him talk about it in just a podcast where he probably spent, what, half of an hour at most researching the Pelicans team and probably from just watching a couple of games he came up with that. Think about what he's gonna be able to do now. He's gonna sit there probably thinking about this every day up until it started training camp.
1: Kevin, yeah, before I let you finish, cause I know where you're going. And I, I want you to, to, to hear the, that part. I think another team that we have to remember is his first Miami Heat team when Dwayne Wade was a rookie, team that went 42-40 and 40 and had Karan Butler, Dwayne Wade, Lamar Odom, Udonis Haslam as a rookie as well, and beat the New Orleans Hornets in the first round. The offense that that team ran, remember, he he used Lamar Odom as a as, – as he did and you could I think you could see some of that with Brandon Ingram um it's going to take a leap but I think you'll see some playmaking from that small forward position or if Brandon Ingram plays the four um and I also think that it, it, he, he's not going to you know people are worried about him slowing down I think he knows what he has he knows he has greyhounds he's not going to slow them yeah, down he
3: understands today's game too right David I mean right. this guy I, yeah. but
1: I think that you know and and what people don't, don't understand is what J.J. Reddick said about him, too, is that no coach had a bigger influence on J.J. Reddick's career, according to him, and mm-hmm. he is consistently cited as one of the smartest offensive minds in the NBA um, and, and around the NBA. So I think that those things are concerns that people have by association with his brother more so than by actually watching how his offenses have performed.
2: Kevin? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with the last part you said because I feel like a lot of the comments I read from from uh, people on Twitter are that are against the higher. It seems like they're talking about Jeff Van Gundy and not Stan Van Gundy, so I I think that's a problem for him is that he is too closely associated to his brother in terms of perception for some fans. Um, but he's a totally different guy. Um, but going back to what Ali was talking about, Ali in that in that low podcast, he kind of. Stan McGundy kind of answered a lot of your questions about Lonzo. Um, he talked about how he's not a good half-court player, how he's not uh, mm-hmm. a good pick-a-roll player, how he, he doesn't attack and these sort of things, but that he is a good uh, shooter and he's he's incredible in transition. So you want him to be that point guard in transition. Um, you know, Grubbs talked about it a lot, about how, how he's really fast at turning a rebound into, into mm-hmm. points on the other end. So you want him to play like that, like in that Ben Simmons mold. That way, But then when it comes to half court, you start running your offense more through Zion and B.I., and then, you know, maybe you add another guy. Like one thing I wanted to ask you guys, and I think this is a good uh, part to do it, is if you could add one actual gettable player um, out there that you can think of to fit this system, to make this work where Zion is anchored in the middle and then you surround him with pace and space, but you don't give up defense and rebounding. And and shot creation, um who's that be for me? It would be Larry Nance Jr. because I think he can rebound. He's according to B ball index, he's in the top eighty one percent for playmaking from his position. Um, and then he shoots forty eight percent from three from the right from the right corner. And he's great from the left corner too. He's not great from other spots, but I think having a guy like that who can also rim protect and switch on defense. He won't get played off the court. He can guard multiple positions. But if you could add a guy like that and have Ingram on the other side, um, Lonzo as a shooter, and then you know either, probably JJ at, for, for long stretches at, at the two guard to really create that space when um, Zion's down low, I think that works. And I was wondering if you guys had other guys in, in mind that could be added to this roster to maximize that that's, that time where Zion's going to be playing
1: the five. Well, my thing, you know, I did my article on the um, free agent options that I like. Um, and I think that those and, and, and the, in that same podcast, he talked up um, Josh Jackson, um, who went over to Memphis from Phoenix and will be a free agent. He talked him up, liked him. Um, I think that the one thing that he's going to want is some length.
3: Um, <laughs> that's where I was going to go. You know? And he's
1: going to want somebody who can, you know, uh, he he he's going to want, you have to have somebody who can protect the rim. And that's the thing that he's focused on so much. And I don't know if Zion in year two is going to yet be a rim protector. Um, I think Nance is gettable. Uh, I just want to see who they are willing to part with first and what do they do on these options with guys before we know if they're going to be trade players or not. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there are some decent options on the free agent market. There are not a lot of options in trades. I think teams are going to be really close to the vest, um, particularly in the West, because the West has is just so thick. Um, you could steal something from Cleveland because they're going to be – I think they're going to be shedding salary this year. They've mm-hmm. got to get Tristan uh, – got, they've got Andre Drummond. They've got to do something with some of these other guys um they've got the young guards but Kevin Love isn't long for that franchise did you hear about Drummond didn't... by
3: the way the ca- the Cavaliers just like the other teams that didn't go in the bubbles held their little mini camps Drummond didn't even attend mm-hmm. the one with Cleveland dude he doesn't want to play up there at all <laughs> yeah would you would you you coming from yeah.
1: Detroit to Cleveland
3: Is that is that a step up no I know but yeah I, I fully agree with what you said David I they gotta have a rim protector and I'll be curious will they bring back Derek Favors and if so at what contract price but either way you need somebody behind them you know we've already seen Jaleel Okafor and bless his heart we love his work ethic and what he can do offensively he's again not going to be a fit I feel like for this team too even though they're going to play a little bit slower so I would like to see him kick the tires maybe you know reuniting with Aaron Baines um, if not I know you mentioned in your piece New Noel Mason Plumley. if you could grab somebody that can kind of hold down that paint, right? Give you 20 minutes. I think that would be great because I feel like they need to chase length, but at the four, right? Somebody that's say six nine, six ten. I mean Jeremiah Grant to me is my ultimate dream. He's
1: coming. No, I know I think
3: I think Denver's gonna resign him. They'd be stupid to let him go, right? He's oh. at least worth an asset. So you're not gonna let that guy walk or trade him for I don't know what, but
2: I do like that's him my
3: dream is to have somebody like him. But David, I know this pains you all the time, but boy, how perfect I think Christian Wood would fit this roster! <laughs> oh, yeah, of course,
2: yeah, not. absolutely.
3: That ain't happening. I think about him all the time. But uh,
2: my I like Jeremy Grant, but he his rebounding is so bad, and that's gonna that's such a problem, especially if Zion is gonna be playing five a lot with Grant in that lineup, and then especially if Ingram's the other guy, if you don't have heart at the three. Uh, I just, I I really like Grant, but the more I, I watch him, the more I dig into the numbers, the rebounding is really, I don't know.
0: 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control, but there is one thing you can control and that's shaving your bush. Look, there's no need to be coy about it. You deserve to smell fresh and look great in all the right places and Manscaped is here to help. They've got the Lawnmower 3.0, a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost. The ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellows down low. It's waterproof, comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They've got the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, which is the perfect add-on. It's a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. You can pluck eyebrows or trim nails in style. There's also the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. This will help you tame that summer swamp ass with natural hydrators and antioxidants. There's the Crop Reviver. It's a testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. We won't judge you if you... (laughs) We won't judge if we catch you sniffing yourself. Go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. The wait is over. A triple header of fun is upon us this week. Football's in effect, the NBA Finals are here, and the MLB Playoffs are in full swing. You might go to some of these games, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything. From game spreads, totals, to teams, player coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. What you- no, I don't like that either. I do think that this
1: eliminates Frank Jackson coming back at all because I think he's going to put a premium knowing Lonzo's limitations in the half court. He's going to put a premium on some, on, on a backup guard who can execute the offense and score Mm -hmm. in the half court. And that's why now my Trey Burke thought just, I get even more excited because it just seems to me Trey Burke is an, an amazing fit for what the Pelicans could do in a second unit He's able to get to the rim. He's able to shoot the three. He's able to create for others. He's not a great creator, but he's able to do that. And you have not had a, a backup for the Pelicans who's, who's been able to check those three boxes ever.
2: Mm-hmm. Since, since Tyreek was third on the depth chart. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to the next question. Um, a lot of people asking about the starting center uh, for next season. We've already talked a little bit about favors, and we also know that there are a number of folks um at the Bird Rights who have Miles Turner dreams in there uh dancing through their heads. <laughs> is is Miles Turner a viable option? And if no, what do the Pelicans do at center?
3: I don't think I don't think he is, especially with signing Stan Van Gundy. There's no doubt that Drew and JJ I feel like are going to stay up until at least the next trade deadline. Stan's going to want these two veteran guards um, on this roster. So for any deal to complete with Miles Turner, Drew would have to be involved. So like I said, I think that's going to be off the table now um, unless the team comes out, they're sluggish, it's not working. Then they decide to make a move before the deadline, but this coming up uh, free agency period. No, I-, I don't foresee it. I think they're going to have to grab somebody off the free agent pile or through some kind of smaller trade. I mean, on free agency, there's not much, you know. I mean, what, do you chase, like, maybe Hassan Whiteside, nope. plumley? I'm I'm not certain, you know, or how much it would cost. I think Kevin's guy, Harry Giles, there, but do you want to trust that guy with 20, 25 minutes? I don't. So, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do there. I think, like I said, it's going to come down to how healthy is Derek Favors. If he can prove to, the, I don't know, whether it's a performance tr- uh, staff or maybe the front office or both – but he's got to prove to them that he's going to be physically more mobile than last year. If not, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why you want to bring him back, even if it's a great contract. You know, I know he he was part of some good defensive teams by, based on the on off numbers. But our eye tests, Right. He never looked like the guy that we saw previously in his career. So for a guy that's we've, we've been told right, David, especially you and I, that has you know basically chronic injury, he's, he's not getting any younger. So how can you rely on him? I don't think he can. So that is a big problem. And if you're not going to be able to trade Drew, then how else do you fill that hole? Like I said, I'm guessing maybe Aaron Baines might be your best bet. I don't know. What do you think?
2: Um, For me, like, first off, Jackson Hayes is about to have a rude awakening because how many times (laughs) have you heard him say, like, my defense isn't a problem. He's about to learn that his defense is a big problem. So true. So that'll be interesting. And hopefully we'll get some um, progress out of him, uh, and that would help. But in terms of, like you already mentioned, Harry Giles is a guy I love. Um, I like Mason Plumlee. I think, like, he learned uh, a lot of, under Jokic. He's a pretty good – he's a, actually a really good passer out of the post. Um, he's an okay rim protector. He rebounds. He sets very good screens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know,
3: I feel like – Super muscle guy.
2: Yeah, and, I'm, and you know, you're probably going to be playing Zion a bulk of his minutes at the five anyway. So you only kind of need a spot guy at, at – in some sense, especially the, this year, because you don't have that definite guy. Um,
3: so, but Kevin, would you start? I'm just curious, real quick, jump in, because it's a perfect time to ask. Would you start Zion, or would you have him start games at the four? I would start him at the four. Well, I mean, it yeah. depends on
2: the roster, honestly, but I would, imagining he's going to start at the four, for sure. Let's um, uh, see, other guys I like. Uh, oh, I mean, Rashawn Holmes might be available. You know, he's got one, one year left on his deal, $5 million. They probably want to play Bagley a lot at center. Uh, They might draft another guy who knows you might be able to get him from the Kings. I like him a lot. Um, And then Dario Saric could be an interesting guy. He's more of a small ball guy, obviously, but he's got, um, you know, he's another playmaker from that position that could sort of fit into, you could see him fitting into a Stan Van Gundy system offensively for sure. If not defensively, he at least works defensively. Um, But again, he's more on the smaller side. Um, So like, of the big guys, you know, like Noel and Plumlee are like probably the best you can get in free agency. Um, And then I definitely don't think that Miles Turner is available anymore with the hire that they made over there in in, um, Indiana. I think they're going to let this guy see if he can make those two bigs work together. And I, you know, from everything I've heard about him, you know, he's one of those really innovative offensive minds. um, And you, you might be able to see him figure something out with Turner and uh, Sabonis. And they probably only person they likely trade is Oladipo over there.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, this NBA season, because of the weird timing um, and the potentially lack of a, um, you know, lack of a, a lot of time for rookies to get adjusted and, and, and the number of new staffs that you have on board. I think this becomes another season where you try to get some pieces in free agency um there's no one to swing for the fences for cuz you're not going to pay Serge Ibaka 18 million dollars to come to New Orleans not with what you're about to shell out for these guys that you already have on the roster. So I think this is this is a team that's likely to come back mostly as is and then as Ollie said the flurry of activity will be as teams fall off and, and realize hey we're not making the playoffs. If Portland comes back and says Well, we tried to run it back one more time with CJ and Dame, and they're just, you know, they're they're past it. Then you start seeing some people go off. I think the West in particular, because, you know, the East is still really four teams and garbage. So who sells out there? Because everybody at the bottom has a chance to make the playoffs. Um, So, yeah, I I just – to me, it just doesn't make sense for the Pelicans to do – and I think the other idea that you guys talked about, and i get your reaction to this – I think the nets deal is done for the time being. Too any idea of a of a major deal with the Brooklyn Nets is done for the time being.
3: I agree 100%.
1: Yeah,
2: I think the only way that happens is if the pelicans start out slow and um they and drew indicates that he's not coming back and 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 mm-hmm. the nets would I think would have to give Lavert and Allen for sure for them to move uh Drew at this point, you know. I, I think there's no other way that's going to happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, David, um, the Pelicans don't know, and especially David Griffin, whether you even want to offer an extension, Drew, and for how much, right? Because obviously you're trading if you don't think that's going to happen. But I don't think he even knows. So that's why, like I said, nothing is going to happen until the trade deadline. That's why the first few months of the season are going to be so important.
1: What's interesting,
3: too, is like,
2: you know, you you guys hearing how the, the next season might start somewhere between Christmas and Martin Luther King day. That's, that's a huge gap. Mm -hmm. And once the off season starts and you start acquiring your team together, I mean, I assume they're going to be allowed to practice and be around each other all that time, or at least part of the time come to the facility and work out if they want. So there's going to be a lot of time for them to kind of figure some things out before the actual season even starts. So I think it's going to be like a really interesting like situation, especially if, if it doesn't start till Martin Luther King day.
1: And for the first time, this group, you should expect them to have an off season where Lonzo is healthy, where Ingram Mm -hmm. is healthy, where Zion is supposedly healthy and can get himself into game one shape um, to start this season, this upcoming season. So yeah, those are big factors as well for the implementation of a new offensive system, for the implementation of a new defensive system. So mm-hmm. I think that that is going to be key to have those guys in the building. And they just didn't have that last year. And, you know, again, we're not, we don't have to rehash the failures of uh, the multiple failures that contributed to the past three years. But that certainly was one of those things of not having guys available. And they should be all good to go at the start of the next season, whenever that begins.
3: Yeah, and I would love to hear reports that they actually work out together during this offseason, right? Like kind of during the (laughs) pandemic when the players weren't supposed to to be doing stuff. You heard about LeBron organizing organizing workouts in LA and and other players were doing similar stuff with other teams. So I don't know. I I want this team to start growing, forming a bond if they're going to be around for years, especially around, of course, Ingram and Zion. I mean shit, if the season doesn't start tomorrow and Luther King Day, they got
2: time to get hurt and healed by the time the season <laughs> starts. It's like crazy how long that would be, you know.
1: That's three months from now. Cause yeah. know, that's mid-January, uh, the third week of January. So we're talking three months um between now and then. Uh Kevin, you, you alluded to this earlier, but we got a question from uh Blitz um Blitz Hydra. And it's about Jackson Hayes. Um blitz Blitz nine. What do you think happens to Jackson? I'm gonna let you take that one because I, I, I have said my piece on Jackson Hayes.
2: Yeah, like I said, I mean this is gonna be very telling for where he's gonna end up in his career. If he's gonna be a a legit, you know, player in this league, a guy that you can start or at least be your first big off the bench, uh when you wanna go big with your big, or if he's gonna be, you know, the JaVale McGee of like Six years ago, you know, because he's a guy that I think we all feel like really lacks maturity, which is, you know, I'm not going to knock a guy for that. Who's that young. But, you know, if he wants to become the player that he can be, that his physical gifts should allow him to be, he definitely has to change his mindset. You see it clear with him and in his interviews and his actions and the way he carries himself. Um and bring in in a guy like Stan Van Gundy, um, who's going to be the exact opposite of what Alvin Gentry was in that locker room. And is you know, he's a guy that demands accountability, not only of his players, but of himself. Um, and he's going to set the tone early and and the focus is going to be on defense and fixing all the flaws in that defense. And if, if Jackson isn't engaged, if he doesn't take it seriously, you know, he may be sent out of here very quickly. Um, Or, you know, or he could blossom into a a quality player, maybe not a full time starter, but a guy that's going to give you a lot of a lot of minutes on the court, valuable minutes, because he has the tools to be that it's just all in his head right now. And I think uh, this hire is going to be the thing that makes or breaks him for the next few years, because, you know, maybe once he gets to like 26, 27, he he matures and learns, you know, you know, we've seen it happen with JaVale and with now with the White Howard. they realize that they're on their way out of the league and they adjust their attitudes and then they become valuable role players on other teams. But he could be a star for a while or he could just be a guy that's bounced around teams because of his athletic gifts, but not being able to put it, put it together
3: mentality-wise until he figures that out. I want to add one important thing that I think we, needs to be said and why I'm, I'm a huge fan of this hire of Sam Van Gundy. And it's the fact that, he's one of the few that I feel like is going to tell the players exactly what they need to hear. You know, Alvin Gentry, bless his heart. He was too much on the player's side, right? He wouldn't be, you know, basically giving them all the criticism that they deserved at times. Right. So I'm curious on how all the young guys, not just Jackson Hayes are going to handle it. Are they going to be able to look at it basically as either, is it going to be criticism in their eyes and they're going to tune out, or are they going to take it as coaching to where he's going to, they're going to see as a benefit of course, and it's going to help their careers. Um, I know that he, uh, when he went to Detroit Pistons, he wanted to bring on Karam Butler, who uh, David mentioned earlier, was, um, I guess, a rookie or or a young guy with the Miami Heat when Stan Van Gundy became coach, but Stan liked him so much, thought so highly of him, and as everybody knows about Karam Butler, this guy has a good, hard work ethic. So he added him when he was about 34, 35 to that Pistons team, and I read an article about, it. that's why it's so fresh in my mind, but he basically said that youngster, youngsters today are just basically told how good they are. And when that happens, you they're not going to get that constructive, you know, teaching that instruction that they need. So I, I feel like Stan's going to do that. He's not going to do it not only with Hayes, but Nikhil, um, even Zion, Lonzo, beyond. I think that's so necessary. And that's how, that's where the improvement is going to come from. So I'm looking forward to it. I won't be surprised if a player or two does tune out. Right. And we, as you mentioned, Hayes may, you know, be traded eventually or quickly because he's all of a sudden not going to see any minutes. And, you know, and then that's just the way it's going to work. But you think it's going to work with some of these other players and they're going to blossom. So I can't wait.
1: Yeah, the one thing you know for sure is that the edict will be if you don't defend, you don't play. We know that's going to happen. Yes. Um, and what I really liked and another thing that stood out in the Low Post podcast is his understanding of, of that guys could play one position on one end of the floor and a completely different one on the other. And specifically when he referred to Lonzo ball as, you know, a point guard in transition, but like a three in the half court, you know, where you have JJ running off screens, drew up top handling the ball Lonzo, not in the corner per se, but moving into catch and shoot positions opposite those bigs, whomever you have in the post or whomever's screening and creating space. So I think that there, that there is going to be a lot of flexibility in that, and that's why I'm getting more encouraged by this. Um, l- before we go, since we, I think we've covered all the topics and the questions, because a lot of them were very similar, um, let's just I, – I, I'll give each of you guys this, this question, um, and it will start with Ali. The one player who will benefit most – from Van Gundy and the one player outside of Jackson Hayes, who you think would be the (laughs) least likely to buy in to the, to the Stan Van Gundy message. Hmm.
3: The one that's going to benefit the most for me, honestly, I think is going to be Brandon Ingram. I think I've heard that he wants to be coached hard somewhere in the last few months or so, and there's not going to be anybody better. And if BI has any chance of becoming a two-way player that I think Griff kind of envisioned, and he shows some defensive chops in LA at times or his glimpses, I think if anybody, Van Gunny's gonna bring it out of him, and he could potentially make him a top 20-25 player in this league.
1: And who who doesn't buy him?
3: Oh, this is tough. I mean, I hate thinking it, but it, I wonder if it would be Nikhil. You know, I think that his potential, he's brimming with potential, right? But Say he has a bad week, bad month, to where he's not getting pl- playing time, and he's honestly just getting yelled at, or you know, just just kind of that traditional coaching to where you're, you're you're honestly just seems like you're constantly being stepped on, right? To where you feel like you can't breathe. That's what young players usually talk about. Traditional coaches, right? They're always riding them. Will he? How will he react to that situation? Because it's bound to happen. I doubt he's all of a sudden going to have some kind of miraculous revelation where he's going to wake up suddenly stop turning the ball over. And, you know, all the problems that we saw last year suddenly going to vanish. I don't foresee it. So he's known as kind of a temperamental guy. How's he going to react? So that's the one that I kind of worry about, I guess.
2: Kevin. Okay. So I wish I had a better hips hipster pick for this, for the player that's going to benefit the most, but I'm going to say Zion because he's going to create a system that maximizes him offensively. And we know that Zion is um, already an extremely gifted offensive player. You look at the numbers he's already putting up. They're super efficient. Those should get even better, perhaps. But also, we know that Zion's a hard worker, and he watches video. He studies the game. And so having a coach like Van Gundy that's going to get on him about defense and teach him uh, defense and show him video and, and, like, make that his focus this year. I think he's going to make a major leap on that side of the court. And then, you know, you add that to the offense that's already there in a system that's maybe better for him than what he had before. Uh, I, I think, you know, he's going to benefit the most. And when it comes to the, the guy that's going to maybe tune out, I, I'm going to assume that we all agree that Okafor, Kendrick, Frank, are all gone, right? I mean, those guys are not going to be back. I, I would think. I don't think it's a hundred percent with Frank, but yeah, I think it's probably close. Okay,
1: so I would actually say I'm at three. Okafor has the most likely chance actually of returning. I would say, and the reason I say that is because he at least has a as the one skill that even if you however you build this roster, he's still a wild card that if you need to get a bucket in the post, you can actually use him. Kenrich gives you nothing. Frank can be duplicated by somebody else. The one thing that Ja can do is score on the block, and that has value, particularly if this team become, gets to the playoffs, where we have now seen teams with bigger lineups in the postseason. I think that that's at Ja's price, at a million-plus. You know, He only made, what, a million-five this year? I think if minimum. you added two, yeah, million I think as, you made the as, minimum. Yeah. Yeah. So at, if he ma- gets a slight raise, I, I'm fine with, with Okafor staying as your third center.
2: I, I hate that you're probably right about that because it's like, I can't
3: fucking. Really? Stay. I think Jackson's more likely to stay, I but that's just me. I hate this guy
2: and I would love to escape him. Um, but you're probably right. And when, I, so in that case, though, because. Pretty much everybody else. I mean, we, you already eliminated Jackson from the from the discussion, which to me, uh, Jackson Hayes is the answer to this question. But mm-hmm. um, if I have to choose somebody else, unfortunately I also have to choose Ollie's choice of Nikhil Alexander Walker because everybody else on the squad is basically a veteran that has already shown you that they're willing to put in work and, and want to improve uh, you know, you have guys like Drew Holiday, JJ Redick. You know, Lonzo Ball is a guy who's constantly working on his game. Um, Brandon Ingram, everything Ollie uh, said about him is true. Josh Hart, we know what kind of player he is. So, just by process of elimination, it comes to the next y- young guy that's on on the uh, on the bench, which is Nikhil. And yeah, he has shown lapses. Um, he definitely has holes in his game. I I really like him. I'm still a big fan of his. So. I I don't think that he's actually going to have any issues. I think he's going to be a guy that improves a lot. But if I have to choose one, I could see a world where he does tune out because of you know just being younger and maybe not having the maturity that these other guys on the roster have.
1: I think he tunes out too because he won't get minutes. Turnovers not right. yes. get you minutes on this team, and that's why I think the veteran point guard position is something that, that Van Gundy is really going to address. And I also think that, you know, he, he, he has a clear understanding of this team can't keep everybody. Um, I think he has identified the three guys that he spoke the most about and that you would expect are Zoe, Ingram, and, and um, Zion. So if those are the three guys that he's focused on, and I think he really likes Josh Hart too, but everybody else he knows for the long-term is is somebody he may have to move uh, because you just don't keep teams together in the NBA for six, seven years. It doesn't happen anymore. The other guy who I think becomes hugely important then as the voice to be the conduit, and I think this was the missing thing with him and Alvin, is that J.J. already gets gets Van Gundy. J.J. understands and can translate Van Gundy. And I think that is a huge factor in being the liaison. And if he does keep one of the assistants, I think that will help too, um, because then you just have a situation like a Freddie Vinson, a guy who can also, who has built a rapport with your young stars, has shown that he can help them progress, and can be that sounding board. Because the Pelican staff last year, and Ali, you know, we were told, again, that they were soft-minded that a lot of these guys had never been criticized. Yes. And so this is going to be a culture shock, but it's, that's why I think J.J. in particular becomes very important. in being. And the, the best Dakota. part is,
3: David, he's already considered a leader by a lot of these guys, so it's, it's mm-hmm. going to make it that much smoother of a transition, right? They're going to listen to him. Yep. Um, I Real think quick, I want to ask you guys, you guys have no fear. I thought maybe one of you guys would have answered Lonzo Ball as somebody
1: that may tune out. I, I think Lonzo will be so focused this year because there's money Contract on the line. Year. His and plus the way his he ended in the bubble, the scrutiny is is even more intense now. Um, and I think Lonzo also understands. Look, this is the the potential that's there for him with Zion and his his relationship with Ingram. Man, there aren't a lot of places when you look around the league that can make it easier for him than what it is in New Orleans.
3: Now I agree with you. I'm thinking more from the viewpoint of Van Gundy taking the ball out of his hands enough to where people are going to be in his ear saying, man, th- th- this guy's killing you. You're in a contract year. You're not going to get the money you deserve. The numbers aren't going to be there. Blah, blah, blah. You don't have that fear.
2: I don't think I the numbers,
1: I don't think he's taking the ball out of his hands though. Yeah, well if it's not on the break? I mean, I don't know. I feel I like I
2: disagree because I think like he's gonna get all those transition highlight real lobs to Zion, all that stuff, and then in the half court, he's gonna not like. What do we look at when we watch the game, and we're just so frustrated that he's not attacking or driving? If if um, Van Gundy creates a system where he doesn't have to do that, then it doesn't look that much like a flaw. So he shines a little bit better. It gets him in position to bump up those three-point numbers, which also is a way to make money and to look good. Um, and you still have in those dynamic plays that make highlight reels, but you're also knocking down threes, contributing to defense and also rebounding, um, which are all the things he does well already. Um, you know, and then if he can get him to become more of an attacker or a better pick-and-roll player, then even better. But I also think that Zion is. I mean, sorry. Lonzo is naturally a guy who works hard. I don't think mm-hmm. while
3: well, he came in, no, with I hope you guys right, right. I just have a concern because of you know. his history, the LA lifestyle, and his dad. And but somehow, I think that I thing,
1: if surviving, and I, and I don't want to say it that way and make LeVar seem like a bad guy, but mm-hmm. we do know LeVar was very hard on his sons. And I think that mm-hmm. if you being coached by LeVar, the yelling that I'm sure Lonzo took, the five o'clock push ups, 5 a.m., you know, running and all that stuff that LeVar did. This stuff, there's no one who's going to be more intimidating than your six foot seven, 260 pound, loud, angry dad. I mean, so I think for Lonzo, I think he would welcome it. I think he absolutely will welcome this because he knows. I mean, look, the point, he could be, he's going to be the best point guard that that Stan Van Gundy's ever coached. The best one. Think about it. He's more talented than Jameer Nelson, clearly. He's more talented than Ridge Jackson. And in Miami, there wasn't really a point guard. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it was like the, Lamar
3: Odom and Dwayne Wade, right?
1: I mean, it was – and then the year – the one year you had with Shaq, you know, that was a point guard by committee. They were just throwing guys out there. So, I mean, you know, this this is – I think for Stan Van Gundy, this is a treat, man. This is like, oh, I, I have somebody – who I can do more things than with any other point guard I've ever had.
3: Yeah, I mean, I hope you're right. Like I said, I just have say Lonzo's having a bad game. If he's saying having a down defensive streak, on top of the shots not going in, I could see Stan only limiting him or limiting him to like say maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes. I don't know. I, I you know, we saw how it played out this year, right? When Lonzo, who relies on his confidence. And he's kind of the more fragile guy, even though he made such inroads this year, I could see a lot of it being taken away. I don't know. That's all.
1: Well, guys, um, we certainly are looking forward to the day when the Pelicans have the press conference and we get to talk to Stan and think, Ali, uh, I think you and I will have a lot of questions. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to that dynamic, the media dynamic with Stan Van Gundy. That is, I think it's going to be very interesting and more open than it's ever been uh, in new Orleans. Monty wasn't a speaker. Um, Alvin, certainly, like you said, protected the players though, even though we know behind, behind the scenes, he had his deep criticism of some of these guys, but he never, Mm -hmm. he never publicized them. I think that this will, this is not a guy who's going to throw his guys under the bus, but he will call them out when they are, when they are not playing to their capabilities
2: this might be where you find the people who don't buy in is the the local media.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. I agree with you on that. But um, <laughs> gentlemen, I think we did it. I think we've hit it all. Um, and uh, kudos to you both. I think we had another great one. What do you think? Yes,
3: sir. It's been a while, man. That was fun. Yeah,
1: yeah it has. Um, Ali, you and I definitely will have to, I'll have to have you on Hard to Paint and we we'll probably have to go into some more NBA stuff. Um, I'm, I'm imagining there's going to be some more hires in the, Uh, next few days and folks are still going to want to talk about trade packages and all those Mm -hmm. things and of course we'll be doing it right here and on the bird rights.com so please check that out make sure you subscribe and rate and share this podcast um kevin uh is kevin tell the folks are you still working on your piece with chris for us down the road but you've also got some irons in the fire um in other uh,
0: areas
2: yeah, uh, Chris and I did do a team up together, but it's not for the bird rights. It's not about basketball. Um, it is um, Cash Money Records just released uh, the 20 year anniversary reissue of the Baller Blockin soundtrack. Uh, they it's like remastered on vinyl, um, and so Chris and I teamed up to write about that for Anti Gravity Magazine, um, which is a magazine I've worked for a lot in the past. I used to be the art director. Um, but it'll be out in the next issue in November. Um, so it's, it's been primarily a print magazine for most of its existence, but due to COVID, it's definitely geared a lot more towards, uh, online now. Um, so it usually it it would take a while for, for it to get online, but now it should be online within a couple of days of the print release and it's a smaller run print wise, but you can find it at a lot of restaurants and bars and, coffee shops and things like that. So be looking for that and I'll, I'll promote it again once it's out. Um, last time we did a podcast, I talked about how I was working on a music video that came out today. Um, you could go to hightheband.com and it, it's, there's a link to it right on the homepage if you want to check that out. That record that I also designed for that, for that album drops on Friday um so that'll be streaming on all streaming services and they have vinyl and even cassette tapes for sale which is all everything is on that website if you just go to high hide the, hide the band.com h i g h um you know there's a link to all the store and there's easy links to all their streaming platforms because they name their band high so it's impossible to fucking find ever um and then my buddy Kevin and I Kevin Kamarta and I have been teaming up together to make uh some artwork out of uh, my illustrations, combined with his like collage and skills that he's been taking the pelicans right now that I drew and making these really nice gold leaf halos and a nice background mounting them on wood. so we've been selling those, so you can get in touch with me if you want any of those. they've been selling really well already today. We just launched them, so that's been a great relief for me since I still don't have my job back, unfortunately. Um, so that, that was a great day for me in that sense. And then it was, you know, fun talking to you guys and hopefully I'll be writing about some basketball soon too.
3: Ollie, Yeah. I may write One more piece on Stan Van Gundy, something that hasn't possibly been written, but other than that, got to start tuning into, um, the draft, right? We're less than a month away, November 18th. So got to start concentrating on well. what maybe the Pels will do with their first round pick as well as their, what was it three seconds?
1: yeah um and for me good news today um, I had an offer accepted on a house so congratulations I'll be
3: yeah. finally
1: becoming a homeowner and also some other good news um, it looks like I will be broadcasting two-lane home basketball games for men and women on ESPN uh, plus yeah and I will also be the uh play-by-play announcer for St. Augustine High School football for their three games this uh, high school season. So I'm getting a little more stuff on the side as well.
3: That is awesome. I'm glad we're playing. you on all that. We're, yes. Kevin and I going to come and heckle you at some two lane games though this year, I think, if we're allowed in.
1: <laughs> if you're allowed in the building, yes. Yeah. So please, and I'll have to actually wear a suit, which I never wear suits. Oh, you're kidding anymore. me! Oh, wow. I'm going to have to wear a suit and tie. And I'm just like, that's the one thing that I'm, I'm not looking forward to. Um, you know, <laughs> because I, I got to just stop wearing that stuff.
2: You got to go all Omar in the trial, you know? <laughs> <laughs> fly I'm,
1: I think I might go with the, uh, the uh, Beetlejuice tuxedo. There you go. Burgundy <laughs> with the ruffles, white what? shoes nice yes or i gotta go with the um cousin eddie from national lampoons vacation
3: or you could go completely crazy and look better than anybody else in the entire city and wear the best looking tux like a james bond tux or something you can get like
2: vest made out of your out of your t-shirts so then you got like comfortable some style three-piece suit Looking good. Some paint stuff? Stuff.
1: You, your like you have to get the lining done with harden the paint on the inside. Right. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Man. So
3: this suit wearing is not such a bad idea, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> i have to I definitely will have to get one of the I have to get the um a tie made with the uh voodoo bird logo. That would be yes. dope.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'd, um, have to, I'd have to eat like
2: laxatives for like three weeks to fit back in my suits again after this pandemic, man.
1: I so. know. Jeez. I, I, my <laughs> suits have been sitting in the back of the closet for so long. And I'm glad i you know, put covers over them and stuff like uh, my, my grandmother's couch, but um, yeah. Um, so <laughs> thank you for listening to that banter. That, that insightful and, 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 um, needed banter at the end of course that major day folks um but <laughs> we hope you will join us again next time here on the bird calls for kevin barras and ali cosell i am david grubb until the next time let's go pels. <laughs>
0: for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today look around you can find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding right your tail or if you're tailgating right
1: now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro